Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Love to kick back with a Big Mac? Ain't nothing you wouldn't do for a sausage and egg McMuffin? Well, good news. You can now order McDonald's on Just Eat. Did somebody say, Just Eat? Sausage and egg McMuffin served until 11am. Big Mac served after 11am at participating McDonald's. Check out your Just Eat app to see if there's one near you. Delivery fee applies. A movie is on its way to theaters now that will make a lot of people think, and it may scare a lot of families. It's called Still Alice, and it's about Alzheimer's disease, the early-onset variety that strikes young people in the prime of their lives and careers. I've been seeing a neurologist for the past few months, and I have Alzheimer's disease. Early onset. That, that doesn't make sense. Are you sure? There is no doubt she has the disease. Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. Estimated five and a half million Americans live with the disease, and that's about one in ten adults aged 65 and older. What the disease does is it spreads throughout the brain, starting in the hippocampus, and goes into cortical areas where you do your, you know, your basic thinking. And so the symptoms get worse and worse and worse. And on my bad days, I feel like I can't find myself. I've always been so defined by my my language and now sometimes I can see the words hanging in front of me and I can't reach them and I don't know who I am and, and I don't know what I'm going to lose next. When other diseases of the aged, uh, like heart disease or like strokes, have been going down since 2004, Alzheimer's disease is up 2,000, I'm, I'm sorry, 30%. One of the things we've realized is if we want to stop the disease we have to start giving drugs much earlier and that's something we're grappling with at the moment the cost of alzheimer's disease to bankrupt the united states by the year 2050 uh, unless we come up with some kind of cure hello and welcome to science i'm rick edwards joined as ever by dr michael brooks hello so one piece of fiction one big old scientific question this week, uh, Brooksy, it's your turn. What have you cooked up for us? So I have got for you Still Alice, 2014 film with Julianne Moore. Is that the one about dementia? Yes, that's the one. Ah, remind me of the plot of the film. Uh, so Julianne Moore plays a woman who's a, a high-flying professor at Columbia University who unfortunately gets hit by early-onset Alzheimer's. And right. the film sort of charts her... Uh, decline and, and fading away. And is the depiction of Alzheimer's pretty solid? 
It's incredibly solid, yeah. People who um, watch the film, who've lived with uh, people suffering from Alzheimer's and, and even sufferers themselves have said, you know, it kind of really hits every, every note that they, they've experienced. And what's our big question? So our big question uh, this week is, will we ever cure dementia? I assume we've tracked down an absolute legend for this one. <laughs> you assume correctly. John Hardy, Professor of Neuroscience at the Institute of Neurology in University College London. Uh, so he is actually, basically, like Julianne, an Oscar winner, but uh, he won the Oscars of Science. So he... Uh, I was going to say, what? <laughs> he got the $3 million breakthrough prize in life science. He was the first Briton to win this. Uh, so this is funded by, like, Sergey Brin and, and Mark Zuckerberg and basically is like, you know, the the, the marker of brilliance in science. Uh, and, so, and this is for his research into Alzheimer's and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. $3 million? Yeah. What an absolute baller. <laughs> and still talk to us. All this week, we've been bringing you stories from a special village in the Netherlands that was especially built for people with severe dementia. Dementia is a kind of generic term which implies, well, loss of mind, literally. Uh, and usually as people get old, usually it's applied to elderly people. They lose abilities, uh, cognitive abilities that they've had earlier in their life. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty remarkable place, Christy. Again, because every resident there does have severe dementia. About three quarters of those people who are described as having dementia actually have uh, Alzheimer's disease. And Alzheimer's disease is a very specific pathology with a very specific distribution in the brain of, the, of that pathology. In 2008, I first met Carol Daly, who has Alzheimer's, and her husband, Mike, a retired New York City cop. Over the years, I visited them six times for the CBS Evening News. When you heard the word Alzheimer's, what did that do to you? I was devastated. And it's characterized by early in the disease process, the problem is making new memories. That gets worse and worse, and the memory problem gets worse and worse and, until people can't retrieve memories that they've already made. We've interviewed Mike and Carol as Alzheimer's took over her brain. What's your husband's name? My husband's. Your husband's name? <laughs> yeah. The guy sitting to your yeah. left? but it also starts to affect personality and just general cognition. Now, that's the most common cause of dementia. There's uh, vascular dementia, which is uh, it's probably 10 or 15% of individuals that has a kind of more staggered uh, progression, it gets suddenly worse, whereas Alzheimer's disease has a very smooth progression. And then there's what's called frontotemporal dementia, and that usually starts with a personality change rather than a memory change. So those are the the most common forms of dementias. So Alzheimer's disease starts in a part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is just behind your ear. It's shaped like a bent finger, about as big as your little finger. And that's the part of the brain where memories are m basically made. So when something happens and you remember it, the hippocampus is the part of the brain which has made the decision to make that memory and put it then store that memory in other parts of the brain. 
And what happens in Alzheimer's disease is that part of the brain starts to degenerate first. So old memories are still there, but you can't make new ones. And those are the early symptoms. But unfortunately, what the disease does is it spreads throughout the brain, starting in the hippocampus and goes into cortical areas where you do your, you know, your basic thinking. And so the symptoms get worse and worse and worse. Now, from the very earliest memory problems to death is typically seven to ten years. In the last couple of years, people are really not thinking at all. They're just cachectic and lying in bed and immobile. It's really, the last couple of years are really miserable. So that's the process, typically seven to ten years. <laughs> Let's try and keep this upbeat, shall we? How long have we known about dementia? Has it been around forever? Well, yeah, so people have been sort of losing their faculties. I mean, you know, we, we've got sort of, uh, uh, records of, of people like from 2000 BC sort of, you know, recording people losing their faculties. So dementia, as in, you know, de-minded. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the a kind of intellectual deficit in the 18th century it was sort of defined by the end of the 19th century. We're sort of just back to that kind of sense of like, oh, you know, people have, have lost the ability to think and remember properly. But the the Alzheimer's thing, which is the, you know, the big thing, like you said, 75% of dementia, uh, that's kind of a, a, a thing from the uh, 20th century. So the first woman recorded to have what became known as Alzheimer's disease was a woman called August D, who was admitted to a state asylum in Frankfurt in 1901. She had all these sort of symptoms like paranoia, aggression, uh, memory loss, and and just was, you know, really kicking off. And she was looked after by a doctor called Alois Alzheimer. Alzheimer was sort of taking interest in her case. When she died, he dissected her brain and had a look at it and found all these sort of plaques or these tangles of protein and things in them. And he basically, you know, made the sort of prescription or the the diagnosis that these were responsible for her situation you know with with the kind of memory loss and and personality change and everything else so you could see a physical um impediment yeah to, to brain function when he yeah. when he opened it yeah up. yeah hmm. and that's kind of you know what we associate with alzheimer's disease although as you know we, we're still trying to make sense of what actually is going on there how many people does it affect dementia yeah it's almost 50 million people around the world. And I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, cases are being diagnosed. Basically, every three seconds somewhere in the world, we get a new case of, of dementia. So that means that by 2030, we're looking at 66 million. By 2050, they're projecting 115 million cases around the world. It's not great, is it? No, it's not great. Is it inherited? 99% of cases are not inherited, although... Uh, in the film, actually, Julianne Moore does have a genetic uh, inheritance. So, so she has familial Alzheimer's and, uh, and that's sort of 50-50 that you're going to pass on the gene, basically. So she was unlucky. But basically what we're finding is that age is a bigger factor than, than genetics. So, you know, the older you get, the, the, obviously the more chance that you'll get. Um, early onset Alzheimer's, this defined as happening earlier than 65 but actually, it's happened to some people as early as 30. I've been seeing a neurologist for the past few months, and I have Alzheimer's disease. Early onset. That, that, that doesn't make sense. Or, 
Are you sure? Uh, there is no doubt. She has the disease. But at her age, it's... It is rare, but it has been confirmed. I'm so young. The thing is that the, the type of Alzheimer's I have is very rare. It's familial. It's passed on genetically. We believe that she got it from her father, and of course we're very worried about the three of you. Now there is a test you can take, but it's completely up to you whether you want to find out or not. Professor Hardy said that one of the first signs is difficulty forming new memories. So what happens to the memories that you've already made then? Are they just there but become inaccessible? Yeah, so, so, I mean, one of the classic things with, with Alzheimer's is people can remember childhood things, they can remember things that were a long time ago, but they can't eventually sort of, you know, recognise their own children or whatever. So, so you get this sort of sense of where people are fading away. I mean, it's sort of talked about as, as sort of gradually things are fading. So you'll start with, you know, you can't remember what happened yesterday or something that somebody said yesterday. And eventually you get to the point where you're just not remembering anything at all uh, from you know, increasingly long periods uh, into the past. The weird thing is, though, that actually it's interesting. People can't remember certain things, but actually they remember how they feel about certain things. So, so there was an experiment done where people were watching, a, people with Alzheimer's were given a, a sort of sad film to watch. And they were interviewed about how they felt you know, 30 minutes later. And they couldn't remember anything about the film or you know, what had actually gone on. But they did report sort of feelings of sadness. Uh, that that sort of lingered with them. So there's a sense in which you know you you're not laying down those specific memories, but actually you still have emotion and you still feel stuff to do with what's going on around you, uh, but you don't know why you're feeling that effectively. Okay, yeah, I, I I think I understand. I mean, the point is that actually you you know you need to make sure that you're not treating people with Alzheimer's as if they're just sort of not feeling anything because the fact that they can't remember anything doesn't mean that they're not having feelings and so you know still very much people uh even though people talk about them as like you know they're gradually fading away they're still you know very much there and they have emotions and they have feelings about you know what's gone on but they just can't really link them to events and, and memories how do we treat dementia so we had sort of this breakthrough or so we thought in the sort of 70s and 80s we thought that there was sort of some link to reductions in acetylcholine uh, and glutamate in the brain, and and are, somehow are they things that naturally occur. Yeah, 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 and and they were sort of you know disappearing. So people thought, oh, you know, if you can replace these chemicals, then maybe you can undo the um, yeah, uh, un, undo the the loss of memory. But um, and there was a sort of you know a load of drugs came out of this idea, but actually, and then they're, they're not a cure. Uh, there's been some sort of benefit in terms of dealing with symptoms, mm-hmm. but they've not really kind of you know shown to be a, a good route to really um, treating uh, Alzheimer's over the long term. So, so that's kind of, you know, gone by the by. You know, acetylcholine isn't really seen as the, as the root cause of anything. Um, so we've, we've had to look sort of elsewhere for these things. But to be honest, you know, we don't have any good um, cures. We don't have any way to really stop the disease from progressing. There's, there's, you know, we've got a, a few drugs that sort of slow some of the symptoms but um, we're not doing very well. So given that it doesn't sound like we're getting anywhere, particularly with this, how did Professor Hardy win $3 million? (laughs) So uh, actually, I mean, I say we're not getting anywhere, and it's very slow progress, but uh, back in the 80s, he and some other researchers, they kind of made quite a big breakthrough in terms of 
understanding that there's a protein called beta amyloid that actually seems to be strongly associated with uh, Alzheimer's and its symptoms and, and the kind of buildup of it. So, so they started to explore that and that is proving promising to a degree. So we had started, and by we, I mean Martin Rosser was the clinician and myself, had started to look for families which were multiply affected by Alzheimer's disease. And we'd advertised through the Alzheimer's Society newsletter. And we got, we got actually many letters, but actually the very first letter we got was from a woman called Carol Jennings in Nottingham. And her father had Alzheimer's disease and four of his brothers and sisters had the disease and one of his cousins had the disease. And they'd all got sick in their mid-50s, so very, very young, really, for people to have these symptoms. And so we sent our research nurse up and our research nurse collected blood samples from all the affected and unaffected family members. And with the blood samples, we made DNA, and then we asked a very simple question. What bits of their genome, what bits of their DNA, did all the affected members have in common, which their unaffected sibs and cousins did not have? And when we did that very simple experiment, we found that the amyloid gene was in the small bit of DNA that only the affected individuals had, and that amyloid gene, when we sequenced it, had a mutation. And one of the pathologies of Alzheimer's disease is a plaque made of the amyloid protein. So this really told us, it was a breakthrough moment because it told us that amyloid plaque, the amyloid protein, was where the disease started. And actually everything that's been done on the disease since really has built upon that that observation that the amyloid plaque is where it starts. When we found the mutation, Alison Goto was the co-leader and I were talking about it and I said, this is going to change our lives and it certainly did because the paper was then published and I think everybody realised its importance and started to look for other mutations which started to turn up. But more generally, it told us that amyloid is where the disease starts and so if you want to prevent the disease starting, amyloid is the simplest target for that. And everything since then has been really aimed with that in mind. So since Professor Hardy's work on the amyloid, have we just ditched the acetylcholine? Yeah, so this was the point at which it was like, okay, here's a whole new direction. Acetylcholine wasn't doing great business, uh, but actually looking at amyloids actually seems to be really promising. So you have this thing called an amyloid precursor protein, which basically uh, sticks through brain cells. So it's on the inside and the outside. And there are proteins that come along and cut this into pieces, uh, into into smaller sort of strings of protein. And beta amyloid is is one of those pieces. Beta amyloid is really a kind of sticky amyloid. It's, it's like it really sort of clumps together. So it clumps together in in uh, what are known as fibrils and mats of fibrils put together, and then those sort of clump together into plaques, which is kind of what Alzheimer's saw in the the brain of this patient back yeah. in the beginning of the twentieth century. So the idea is that, okay, you know, we know now that these things seem to be really strongly associated 
uh, with Alzheimer's disease. So we need to do something, uh, you know, so we can focus research on on those things. So, so how much evidence then is there? I mean, that all sounds pretty plausible, but how much evidence is there that amyloid beta is like playing the primary role in Alzheimer's development? Well, it, it's it's certainly strongly sort of suggestive. I don't know. It's really difficult to talk about cause and effect because you can see the thing there. There's certainly a correlation. Uh, and, you know, you see the thing there and it has, if you have mice that are genetically altered to build up more of these plaques. Which, actually, and I imagine we do. Yes, we do. Yes. Uh, the lucky old mice. So that they, they actually have more trouble finding their way through mazes. So, so they, you know, don't remember pass through mazes so well. Mm-hmm. So it seems that if you allow these mice to, to build up plaques, then actually, you know, you will see the symptoms that we associate with Alzheimer's. And, and, and we've also, you know, we know that there's um, in familial Alzheimer's, you know, where we've got, you know, a virtual guarantee because of genetic mutations that, that people will develop Alzheimer's, those genetics are involved with the production of beta amyloids. So, so you've definitely got some kind of quite a strong link there. And we also know about um, people with Down syndrome who have a higher chance of uh, developing Alzheimer's disease, a much higher chance. And they actually, um, they also basically develop amyloid plaques. You know, we, so, we know, so we've got all these sort of lines of circumstantial evidence that seem to to link amyloids and beta amyloids in particular with uh, with the onset of Alzheimer's. So given this, how are we intervening? What do you do to strip away amyloid beta, prevent its um, development in the first place? So obviously, I mean, the best thing to do is to sort of make sure it doesn't build up. So you can reduce yeah. the build up. Um, there's a drug um, called aducanumab, and that reduces the build up. And that sort of seems to be you know, recently in the last couple of years, that seemed to be quite, um, quite effective, you know, certainly reducing the buildup to some, some degree, or that's still in clinical trials. So it's hard to know, you know, whether it actually is, is working properly. Um, you can try and increase the amount of removal that the body does of its own thing. So, so, you know, you mobilize the immune system, because what part of the problem is that, you know, the immune system sees this stuff, and it seems to be triggering attacks on, on, on the brain, which is where, you know, maybe some of the problem comes from. So there's some people are saying, well, actually, maybe the immune system is is what's to blame, you know, responding to these plaques rather than the plaques themselves being um, being the thing that, that are causing the problem. But you can you can do things like uh, try and mobilize the immune system that produces antibodies to, that will attack uh, beta amyloid. So so there's a kind of race to develop drugs that, that work on that on that front. Um, and um, you have what's called active vaccines. So so you actually incorporate a, a, a sort of fragment of the beta amyloid uh, and, and you know, attach it to a carrier protein and then put that into the body, inject it in effectively and sort of train the antibodies to attack this kind of thing. So then they'll attack it in the brain. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so that, that's the idea. And you, you can have uh, passive vaccines, which is just like drugs that, that are you know, given in doses to just sort of take out some of the beta amyloid. But you know, we're, we're sort of you know, trying various things. Nothing is, is really strongly associated with success here yet. I hate it too. But we have to keep the important things in our life going. We have to try or we're going to go crazy. I know, I know, John. I am I am sorry, but I don't know what I would have been like at a dinner party. I might not be able to remember names or answer simple questions. I mean, never mind get through an anecdote. I think you're doing great recently. Relative to what? I wish I had cancer. Don't say that. No, I do. I mean it. 
I mean, I wouldn't feel so ashamed. When people have cancer, they wear pink ribbons for you and go on long walks and raise money and you don't have to feel like some kind of a social... I can't remember the word. And, and is it sort of widely accepted now then that um, the amyloid hypothesis it is the root cause of uh, of Alzheimer's and, and dementia, or are there dissenting voices out there? Well, there's always dissenting voices. I mean, which is good. I mean, yeah, you know, we course. definitely don't want to just be in the same position as we were before, where one attack, no. yeah, on the whole thing, sort of proved to be the wrong angle. But so, so uh, there's a, a guy called George Perry who's come up with the oxidative stress hypothesis, who kind of says that it, there's something to do with too much oxygen being in the brain. And actually, you know, his his view is that the the plaques are a, a bit of a kind of um, red herring, as it were. So, so the plaques are just produced because of too much oxygen in the brain. Uh, so you've got sort of neuron damage that's caused by the oxygen, not by the plaques. And the plaques are a kind of result of the buildup. And we also have this thing called tau proteins, which get you know you get these massive tangles of of, of tau proteins in the in the brains of Alzheimer's sufferers as well. And it, you know, they seem to block, you know, some of the neural activity. And you know, there are people preparing drugs that kind of target these tau proteins and maybe try and you know, reduce those as well. So, so maybe that, you know, that's another angle that that will prove productive. But all of these different ideas are basically just trying to look for ways that will allow us to treat the disease better than we're able to do currently, right? Yeah, yeah, and and maybe even find a cure one day. Well, hopefully. Five million Americans are battling Alzheimer's, and the numbers are expected to triple in the coming years. But if Alzheimer's is caught early, doctors have a better chance of treating the disease. One of the things that we've understood over the last few years is how long the disease takes to develop. So what we know in families like Carol Jennings' family is that the amyloid deposition starts about 10 or 15 years before they start to be sick. And so one of the things we've realised is if we want to stop the disease through stopping amyloid deposition, we have to start giving drugs much earlier. What kind of symptoms are someone having and how often? Or again, if you have one of these things once in a blue moon, not usually a problem if they're occurring. And that's something we're grappling with at the moment because it's very difficult to run clinical trials which will take 10 or 15 years. So that's one thing we're grappling with at the moment. The sooner they can get intervention, some treatments, and the sooner planning can start for those around them. We believe that anti-amyloid drugs will need to be given quite a long time before symptoms develop. Of course, we understand now much more about the other pathologies of the disease and the, and the full sequence of events. Are we close to getting disease treatments? Well, there's now a much larger amount of investment into research into the disease. And because of this investment, there's many more clinical trials in people who are in the early stages of disease, both now in process and being planned. So I'm optimistic How fast are we going to change things? That I'm not sure. I've been wrong before. I, I've I've been saying it's going to take five years uh, for the last 15 years. And so I'm 
kind of hesitant to say, I think it's going to take about five years again. But that is what I think. I think we will be able in the future to slow the progression of the disease. I think the work, we, we, we might get to that quite quickly. We might be able to stop the progression of the disease too. That, I can see that coming. Can I see us reversing the disease? That's not going to happen in my research lifetime. That's a long way away. I think prevention and slowing uh, the disease is what's a realistic target. I've heard before people say that the, the health burden of dementia is like a time bomb. Is there now a big push to try and crack this? Like are people pumping money in? Well, I mean, there's a fair amount of public normal money going into this research because people are scared of Alzheimer's. I mean, it's, it's the number one fear that people have. Yeah, yeah. And um, interestingly, Bill Gates has just opened a new fund for Alzheimer's research. So he's put $50 million into a fund that's basically looking for new angles and new ways of, of approaching the whole problem. So that's the first time that he's actually gone for a sort of... He was going to say that's not his normal uh, thing. No, no, because normally he's doing you know, communicable diseases, yeah. HIV, polio, mm. malaria, those kinds of things. So that's interesting, you know, that the Gates has sort of identified it as something that, you know, he really wants to get involved with and, and wants to kind of seed some new thinking, I think, is his idea. You know, his idea is, you know, we've, we've sort of looked at a lot of this stuff. Maybe we need a big new idea. Mm. So... I was uh, interested to hear um, Professor Hardy saying that actually you can... The, the this plaque, this amyloid plaque starts getting deposited like 10, 15 years before you even start to show any symptoms. Yeah. So feels like a big thing is, can we detect it early? Yeah, and we're getting better. at So we've got a thing called positron, positron emission tomography, PET scanning, yeah. which allows you to look into the brain and see plaques now much earlier than, than we would have done before. So um, as the imaging techniques increase, you know, in their sort of efficacy, then hopefully we'll get to a point where, you know, we can start to say, you know, maybe even like routine brain scans. It's like, mm. actually, you know, you, you've got to 60 now. We're just going to give you a PET scan just to check this. And if we see any abnormal buildup, then we'll, you know, hopefully be able to give you the drugs that that help to remove some of this stuff before the whole thing starts accelerating. So, so there's some hope to kind of be able to do a bit better in early diagnosis of, of an incipient problem, if you like, just, just catch it a little bit earlier. Because, as he says, you know, once it's really taken hold, you can't reverse it. We can't do anything mm. about it. And, and the degradation is pretty fast. So catching it early is really important. I th- yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's clearly what we need to do. So with these PET scans, can you identify both of those sorts of plaque then? Can you look for the, the amyloid plaque and the tau? Yeah, yeah. So, so you can see both of them. Uh, you can also assess, you know, whether people are losing sort of volume in the brain in terms of, you know, actual sort of, the physical structure so so hopefully these kind of technologies you know give us a, a a hope that we can really get in a bit earlier and maybe then you know do something you know more than just like try and slow it down once it's really got hold of everyone i'm pretty into prevention how am <laughs> i not going to get alzheimer's what can i be doing so um one of the big things you need to do is get a good night's sleep so there's growing evidence now that that a bad night's sleep will increase the buildup of beta amyloids. So I would say sleep well. Okay. First of I'm all, keep drinking my valerian tea before bed. <laughs> yeah, you know, your brain obviously lays down memories when you sleep. 
So there's some kind of link between the ability of the brain to do things, you know, the sleep, memory, plaques, beta amyloid. There's something in there, I think, that, that is really, you know, although we don't understand it yet, good advice is basically get as much kip as you can. Who can take us seriously when we are so far from who we once were? Our strange behavior and fumbled sentences change others' perceptions of us and our perception of ourselves. We become ridiculous, incapable, comic. But this is not who we are. This is our disease. And like any disease, it has a cause, it has a progression, and it could have a cure. My greatest wish is that my children, our children, the next generation, do not have to face what I am facing. But for the time being, I'm still alive. I know I'm alive. So, will we have a cure dementia? I want to say yes, because I think we're making enough progress. I think there's enough sense that we're getting a handle on this thing to say, yeah, I think it's not inevitable. I think we, we will one day. I don't think it'll be soon, though. It might be too late for me. Mm. Might be all right for I me. I don't sleep very well either, actually. I don't imagine you do. So much guilt. Science Ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe and Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Professor John Hardy. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcasts. I think that helps. You can also find us on Twitter at science underscore ish. I've been to a breakthrough prize ceremony, actually. <laughs> oh, see. It was very Someone had to serve the drinks. <laughs> I was sat in the row behind all the prize winners. Oh, see. Yeah, and, uh, and watched it. So Morgan Freeman was hosting How's the he? thing. His autocue did fail at one point, and he refused to just work from paper. He was just like, no, I'll just wait until it's fixed. Yeah, I respect that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing you do. Fellow professional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I only work for autocues. Mm-hmm. Your computer makes thousands of connections every day, just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. 